0: It was another historic week in the Massachusetts Senate from the release of the Ethics Committee's investigation on Wednesday to Senator Stan Rosenberg's announcement Thursday that he would resign from the Senate. So we've brought in two reporters from the news service this week to uh, go over all that happened in the East Wing. Matt Murphy and Colin Young, guys, could you go over uh, what the mood in the building was this week as we uh, got into Wednesday and Thursday?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, Sam, well, this is certainly a a long time coming since Senator Rosenberg stepped down in December and uh, the law firm Hogan Lovells was hired as the independent investigator to do this report. No one really knew when it would uh, be released. So when it finally did come Wednesday, I think there was a bit of a sense of relief as this came to a head, uh, but also some apprehension. Uh, This was a, a subject matter and uh, a whole saga that senators uh, really were have been uncomfortable with for months, didn't really know how to respond to it time and again. They've struggled uh, with moving forward. And uh, the fact that uh, this uh, got resolved this week with uh, Senator Rosenberg taking the pressure off of his colleagues uh, by submitting his resignation uh, sort of closes, I think, the chapter on this and and people, uh, senators at least, I think are ready to uh, turn the page.
3: And adding to some of the discomfort that we saw uh, from senators this week as they were dealing with this sensitive issue, Uh, is the fact that Stan Rosenberg was generally well-liked and well-respected among his colleagues in the Senate. This was a guy who served on Beacon Hill for, you know, three decades uh, uh, and was elected, at least by Democrats, to serve as the Senate president. Uh, But he was also well-liked on the other side of the aisle. The uh, Senate minority leader, Bruce Tarr, called Stan Rosenberg on Thursday one of the most affable and personable Senate presidents in recent memory.
0: Was this inevitably headed toward uh, Senator Rosenberg's resignation?
2: I'm not sure it was. I think it's hard to get to that conclusion. You know, I don't think anyone really knew what was ultimately going to be in this report and how it would affect Stan Rosenberg. Uh, Senator Rosenberg himself certainly welcomed this investigation, thought he would be vindicated and cleared at least of any wrongdoing. And from a rules standpoint, he was. He was found by uh, investigators to not have violated any Senate rules or ethics laws. He made a point of highlighting this in his lengthy uh, page-long statement that he released after he resigned. Uh, And while there were senators who had suggested that discipline should go beyond the ethics recommendations, simply stripping him of leadership but even suspending or possibly expelling him. Uh, Senator Eldridge was one of the only senators to call for that before his resignation. It was after the fact that we heard from some other senators like Senator Letallian, Senator Connor Ives, who said they were going to advocate for tougher penalties, and, or in Connor Ives' position, she said she would have supported it. But I'm not sure that uh, the votes necessarily would have been there to expel him.
0: So what might have been the final blow to push him toward resignation?
2: Well, I I think, you know, after taking Wednesday night to sort of see the report, Uh, Hear some of his colleagues come out uh, on Twitter over the course of the night and even the next morning, calling on him to resign. I think Senator Rosenberg saw the writing on the wall. Uh, He had lost the trust of his colleagues. Uh, The governor said he should resign. These are people he would have needed to come back and work with to uh, achieve his limited the policy work that he wanted to accomplish if he was a rank and file senator, and that was no longer going to be possible. And I think he understood that.
3: He alluded to it in his uh, statement on. Thursday, that uh, had the Senate adopted or or uh, had the Senate gone through with the recommendations of the Ethics Committee to prevent uh, Stan Rosenberg from serving in Senate leadership or from chairing a committee, uh, I, I think Rosenberg uh, realized that that would have really made him ineffective at the thing that he uh, probably did best, which was the policy. Uh, You know, he'd served here for about 30 years, uh, making his bones on policy, and really the Senate's um, contemplated punishment really would have prevented that.
0: So some questions still remain, even though the Senate has said they would like to turn the page and move on after this week. Uh, Namely, was Senator Rosenberg the only senator who's ever uh, shared email access with a spouse, which was a central part of the ethics investigation?
3: Right. And we uh, we asked some of the senators about that this week. And, and there were a lot of shrugs and sort of uh, blank stares. Um, you really didn't hear senators saying that they don't do it, uh, that is, sharing uh, their email password or, or other passwords uh, with their spouses or family members. Uh, but uh, Minority Leader Tar, for instance, uh, said that he thinks that after reading that ethics committee report, there are some senators who are uh, going back and, th- and thinking twice about how they handle their own uh, accounts and passwords.
2: And I think part of the reason why you didn't hear senators say, I don't, you heard them say, well, I don't know what other senators do, but not, I don't share my email is because sometimes I think access may be a little loose. You know, I've spoken to senators in the past, including Senator Mike Barrett of Lexington, who has said his wife probably has seen his email. Uh, His point was that there's not much to see there. Uh, you know, letters from constituents, interest groups, the more sensitive political stuff uh, tends to take place a, a little bit more offline through text messages. And so I, a look, I think Senator Tar promised a look at the Senate rules and that way it may be where this conversation moves next.
0: And some other ramifications remain, especially for Rosenberg's own district, or what will be his former district after uh, this evening.
3: Right, two uh, two communities really uh, bear the brunt of this: uh, Northampton and the town of Hatfield. Those two communities were represented by Rosenberg in the Senate, and until February, had been represented by Peter Cocott in the House. Cocott died in February, leaving uh, a number of communities without. Uh, a representative in the House. But now with Rosenberg's resignation, uh, those two communities will be without any elected representation on Beacon Hill until January.
0: A sad saga in the history of the Senate. Thanks, folks.
3: Thanks, Sam. Thanks.
0: Speaker Robert DeLeo announced his support this week for a red flag gun bill after weeks of intense lobbying by students, advocates, and most recently police chiefs. The bill would allow family members, law enforcement, roommates to petition the court to have somebody's guns removed if there's a risk of danger or injury. Katie Lannan, you've been following this bill, especially since it gained traction following the Parkland school shooting. What's next for this bill?
4: A vote in the House is what's next for this bill. The Speaker said he'll bring it to the floor in May, and he doesn't usually do that unless something is going to pass. Which is a big deal. It was quickly overshadowed this week by some other news we got on Wednesday. But this is the first real sign of motion for something that's been a a target of some serious advocacy since that shooting, as you mentioned. Um, And the speaker has said he doesn't really want to see it weakened. He wants it to go through kind of as is. We'll likely see some technical tweaks, minor changes as the bill moves through ways and means. And of course, members will have the opportunity to amend it on the floor. But it looks like it's it's moving forward.
0: So now that the House Speaker is behind this bill, is the Senate receptive to this sort of legislation?
4: They seem to be. The Senate has expressed interest in doing something regarding gun laws that has been kind of fuzzy. It hasn't taken shape. Um, The Senate co-chair of the Public Safety Committee, that's Mike Moore. He's said that this ERPO red flag idea goes at the concept of what we should be addressing after Parkland. I think the odds are really good that we see some version of this bill make it to Governor Baker's desk. Before the end of session. There is some opposition, though. The Gun Owners Action League notably has said they want to work with House members to present alternative language, different ideas. Their concern with the bill is that it, in their opinion, is more about bringing someone to court, branding them a risk, taking their guns away, not about getting them help. And kind of resolving the underlying issue. So, you know, even the speakers acknowledge he's not saying there won't be any opposition. But overall, he thinks lawmakers on both sides of the aisle seem supportive. Thanks, Katie. Thank you.
0: Lawmakers are taking another go at the opioid epidemic in Massachusetts. On Thursday, the Committee on Mental Health and Substance Use recommended a bill to take a couple of new approaches to the epidemic. Now, Andy Metzger, what do they have in mind? Well, for
5: starters, let's consider the enormity of the problem. There were more than 20,000 non-fatal overdoses in 2015, and the epidemic has only become worse since then. Uh, People are dying at a rate of 2,000 per year. Um, for comparison's sake, that's about the size of the graduating class of Harvard College or the number of people who board the Green Line at Newton Center on a weekday. And that's just deaths. Um, There are thousands of other stories about how heroin and fentanyl have wrecked uh, families, relationships, careers. So it's not surprising that Governor Baker and the lawmakers are not satisfied with the current state of play um, on this issue in Massachusetts. Now, the bill that emerged from the Mental Health and Substance Use Committee allows uh, medical professionals to force someone into three days of treatment. That's one provision. And and, and that's people who are uh, at a risk of harm through their drug or alcohol abuse and it also uh, requires hospitals to be able to administer opioid agonist medicine aka buprenorphine aka suboxone
0: what exactly is opioid agonist medicine
5: methadone is probably the most well-known agonist Uh, these medicines help people who are still addicted to heroin or fentanyl to handle their cravings and interestingly uh, something i learned from a doctor this week is that buprenorphine also has sort of a prophylactic effect. So if you take buprenorphine, you'll be less likely to overdose from other opioids while it's in your system because, to borrow a basketball term, the buprenorphine sort of boxes out the uh, fentanyl or other drugs... uh, prevents them from attaching to the chemical receptors in your body.
0: Oh, wow. So uh, this would be a new obligation then for hospitals under this bill?
5: That's right. And it would mean a very different experience for people who overdose. Um, it's a common story that people OD, uh, they're taken to a hospital, Narcan, and um, They wake up sober and craving more opioids. And uh, the committee's hope is that this requirement for the hospitals would ease their transition out of a medical center.
0: Gotcha. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Supporters of several initiative petitions got the green light this week to go pick up the final round of signatures needed to get on the ballot this fall. Mike Norton's been covering the ballot questions. What's the latest, Mike?
1: Well, Sam, this was a huge week for ballot law politics in Massachusetts. Speaking at the uh, Republican Convention on Saturday in Worcester, Governor Charlie Baker declared his support for reducing the sales tax. That announcement was well-received at the DCU Center, but on Beacon Hill, where the governor spends most of his days, it kind of puts him at odds on a major overarching issue with most Democrats. Retailers are backing a question that would reduce the sales tax from 6.25% to 5%. Now, what we're seeing is defenders of government services are beginning to express their opposition to that idea, saying it would carve about $1.2 billion out of the state's revenue stream, a real significant chunk of money.
0: So do you think it's likely that the governor and the legislature will come up with alternatives to prompt ballot question supporters to drop their plans?
1: Well, that's the big question right there. The answer is uh, yes, I do, but it's not really clear yet which questions they will address. Petitioners are looking at ballot laws that passed in recent years uh, that require earned sick time benefits, uh, legalizing marijuana, and they're saying, why don't we also just circumvent the legislature and go right to the voters? But in sort of a stunning admission this week, Governor Baker said talks are occurring behind the scenes on possible alternatives to all of the pending ballot questions. The governor said he hoped to, quote, mash all those things together, unquote. (laughs) So in addition to the sales tax cut, it appears there are legislative alternatives in the works governing other big, big topics like raising the minimum wage, imposing nurse staffing requirements, and instituting a paid family and medical leave program. The thing to watch here, Sam, is whether Baker and legislative leaders like House Speaker Robert DeLeo can thread the needle between coming up with alternatives the business community can accept while also appeasing uh, retailers and the liberal and union-backed groups that are pushing most of the ballot questions. They may be able to do that by being more moderate in their approach to both tax relief and business mandates. Now, we'll need to know for sure by early July when the ballot is actually set.
0: Gotcha. will watch for a mashup. Thanks, Mike.
1: Thank you. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.